Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to the Junkyard Dogcast, everybody. I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. With me, Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell of Dogs 24-7. And Georgia took one on the chin this weekend, 41-24 to Alabama, uh, a game that Georgia led at halftime, third straight time Georgia has led Alabama at halftime, third straight time they've let it get away. Waited until the – didn't wait, didn't wait, I'm sorry, until the fourth quarter to let this one get away as Alabama kind of – Grab the reins in the third, and, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about uh, our key takeaways, key sequences from that game uh, that, that we identified as we watched it. What's next for Georgia? Obviously, an open week this week with the Kentucky game getting moved back to all, October 31st uh, amid Florida's COVID issues to kind of make that game work. Florida's going to play Missouri on October 31st. No bye week before that game for either team. And, uh, and then it's the annual showdown in Jacksonville, and uh, that one is likely to decide the SEC East. But, Rusty, let's jump right into this thing, man. Uh, Georgia lets it slip away. Uh, had some moments in that game where I felt like these two teams belong on the same field. These two teams are trading punch. This is the punches. This is a heavyweight battle. And then Georgia kind of let it slip away. What are your, what's your key takeaway from it? I agree with that. Um, I think the the Georgia, uh, you look at the result, the end result, and, you know, it's not what you desire. If you're a Georgia fan and watching the game, uh, especially against this team you've had issues with and because of the other two losses and now this one in recent time, I think uh, on the positive, I felt like Georgia was really, really physical with Alabama. I thought the offensive line played really good. I thought the defensive line uh, for the most part, played really well. I thought the linebackers um, played well. You know, the secondary had some issues, and you know, I don't know that that's, I don't know that it was X's and O's. I think it was Jimmy's and Joe's. I think that, you know, I, I said it in my post game, you know, quick hitter there that, you know, you look at Jalen Waddle and you look at Devonte Smith. I mean, those are two probably top twelve picks for a reason. Now. Georgia's got really good corners, and and nobody's really done that to them. But you know they had issues. They had you know you look at um, one of the plays. Tyree, I went back and watched the game a little bit today. Tyree Stevenson basically had an interception, and Devontae Smith took the ball away from him. You know, little plays like that. I mean, th- those guys are they're difference makers, and the same principle that I discussed with with the Auburn game. And Auburn had two, maybe three plays in that game. If I'm an Auburn fan and I look and you got beat 27 to six, and they had three plays in that game where their wide receivers had basically gotten behind the Georgia defenders and Bo Nix either missed it or they dropped the ball, whatever. You didn't capitalize on that moment and then it was over. There wasn't another opportunity. When you play a game like this, against Alabama 
the the margin of error is extremely small. And I know Georgia, you know, looks at this. There's a couple plays here, a couple plays there. You didn't make them, and that's what happened. You got beat. And you know, I think the the point today, I really kind of said this was the turning point. It was 34 to 24. Uh, right after the big touchdown, Georgia drives right back down the field. They go right back down the field. I think it's a 29, Jake, if I'm correct. Uh, just doing what they're doing, running the ball. They're, you know, kind of dinking and dunking, but doing what they do. And, you know, they had put in 20, they had put 24 points up and was driving again at this point. And then they have interception. And then the game, it got out of hand. Uh, you started to having to press, do things that's, you know, not in Stetson Bennett's wheelhouse, um, you know, those types of things. And, you know, I just think the margin of error there, I, I watched the 2017 game and the 2018 game both from the sideline. I left both games, both games, thinking Georgia should have won, may have been the better team both times. Didn't matter. They were 0-2. When I got done with that game Saturday night, I don't know how Georgia answers if they play them again because they got two guys that are a problem. They got a very good quarterback. Give Mac Jones all the credit in the world, and they got a hell of an offensive coordinator, Steve uh, Steve Sarkeesian. So, I think the only way you're going to beat Alabama, I truly think the only way is to outscore them. And right now, just my gut feeling, there's probably one we have not seen Ohio State. I know Clemson can score with them. You're going to have to outscore them because I cannot see anybody completely shutting them down. And the reason I picked Alabama to win was I trusted that offense a little bit more than I did the Georgia defense based off what has happened in the last couple of years when an elite offense plays an elite defense. This day and age, man, the offense is winning these games, and it happened again Saturday night. All great points, man. Kip, what you got? Uh, I think, I mean, defensively, even though the numbers don't look good, the game plan was sound. I mean, they they were basically telling Alabama, you're not going to beat us, you know, on uh, just on crossing routes on the inside run game. You're going to have to attack us outside and deep. And, I mean, Alabama did it. And Rusty's correct. I mean, Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddell, those guys are going to go higher in the draft than probably anyone on Georgia's defense right now, and that's that's just what it is. I mean, those guys are are going to go top 10, top 15, and I mean, Georgia didn't play perfect defense. You know, it was, it was hit and miss with how well they were able to pressure Mac Jones. Um, he, you know, Aziz Ojolari had some moments, and, you know, Jermaine Johnson was solid in spots. But at the end of the day, Mac Jones, I would say, was firing. He was hitting 50% of the passes. I mean, he was hitting the passes he was needing to hit, the ones that are within his wheelhouse. And, and that was the difference in the game, was that he was he was making the, you know those decisions and making the, the right throws that you need him to make. They were not asking him to go beyond his skill set. And I do think that, especially in the second half, it kind of caught up to Georgia with, I mean, 
I know that's going to be, it's going to dominate the conversation for this bye week and for the rest of the season, but uh, Georgia's potential limitations at quarterback a little bit kind of stung a little bit. I mean, it was just a, the vision, uh, you know, Alabama knew for their, their front seven, put your hands in the air. Georgia does not have the tallest quarterback in the country, you know, under center right now and batting down four passes and taking away the middle of the field. It, it was effective. And I think that like Rusty said, you have to keep your cap to Steve Sarkeesian. He called an outstanding game. And I think that Georgia offensively is still trying to find its identity because and there was success in the run game. And they were they were having some success. And, I mean, early on, Georgia fans also got what they wanted, you know, all offseason, air it out. Let's, let's be uh, more unpredictable. Let's throw the ball. I mean, Georgia was throwing the ball. And basically they were using the run to set up the pass well and vice versa. And it was working to an extent. And they kept throwing the football and – I mean, it kind of got away from in the second half, and they became they became predictable just as they did in 2019. But on the uh, on the flip side, everyone knew that you know Georgia was going to throw early and often, and it allowed uh, Alabama to kind of pin their ears back and took the Georgia's running backs out of the game. And, and I mean, once you get knocked off your game plan, it's it's tough to get back w- with the team that already provides you with razor thin margin for error to win the football game. And I mean, that's just, that's kind of what happened to Georgia. And I I think there's still plenty positives you can take away from this, but there's also, I mean, you know, now warrior question marks kind of lie and, and now it's, it's time to kind of get back to the drawing board and figure it out. And I think for the defense, I think that's a good thing. They had this game early, you know, instead of, at the very end of the year, you know, instead of this being the SEC championship game, uh, you know, where LSU kind of stretched them out and and took advantage of them, I think now you have an opportunity to make adjustments and to focus on getting ba- getting back to Atlanta and, and the outcome being different. I don't think that with Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle, you're not going to take those guys out of the game. You just have to do a better job of, of limiting how many yards they get after the catch and not falling down uh, when the deep ball is being thrown and, and, and not missing a guy, you know, when he's in motion and keeping your eyes aware that the, you know, the, those, the eyes, the eye instinct is, is super important when you're playing a team like Alabama, because that's C. Sarkeesian. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to make you miss, on on where their playmakers are and so that they they can they can get behind you and, and busted coverage against those guys i mean it's going to be 20 40 yards going to be touchdown and so that having that awareness and, and having that eye discipline is going to be key and i think it's something that the georgia can work on defensively they they have the personnel to to limit alabama in a rematch, obviously that's way down the road, but that's the focus right now because this was the matchup everybody wanted to see. And again, offensively, I, I think you just got to do a lot of self-scouting. You got to watch that film and, and, you know, decide, you know, where do we want to go from here? 
And what do we want our identity to be moving forward? Because I think that Georgia can be explosive offensively and they have they have the playmakers they need to be able to put up more points than they did uh, on Saturday night. You know, Rusty, I kind of agree with with your point about the answer. I, I don't – right now, I don't see how Georgia matches up with them again. I mean, heck, I said the same thing in 20, 2017 against Auburn when Auburn beat the pants off Georgia. But I kind of look at this one so much differently than I do the first two matchups. And listen, it's funny because the margin the, the margin of victory is is greater than it has been in the first two matchups. But when I look at it, I think Georgia's better than those two teams that that had a closer margin of victory that had a chance to beat Alabama because I don't think Georgia played well. I just don't think Georgia played good football on Saturday. I mean, whether you you know you look at the offensive side of the ball and and you know Stetson Bennett's a warrior. I could not think high, more highly of the kid. I have such a different take that I feel like than than a fan would in this regard. In that, yes, I'm critical of Stetson Bennett, and I ha- I do believe he has limitations. I'm not angry at him, or or I don't have any sort of negative feelings toward him because he's not what Georgia fans think Georgia needs or what Georgia needs. But he left open. Uh, there were open receivers. I mean, you you look at the interception thrown after the interception that Georgia got to start the game. He's got a guy wide open out in the flat. Where where nobody's going to bat that pass down, and uh, he end up get, ends up getting picked off trying to force one into coverage. Uh, he forced the ball into coverage more than once. Uh, he had James Cook sitting out in the flat over and over and over again. Um, he, he missed guys. Uh, you know Georgia uh, Georgia had an opportunity to bring a few balls in that they didn't bring in. Um, things look dis- disjointed offensively, and we'll get into some of this during during the key sequences in a minute. Uh, but even on the defensive side of the ball, I thought the communication was bad. You know, Tyson Campbell got the late switch off there from from Tyreek Stevenson, and and that was a little bit of an issue. Um, you tackling wasn't that great. You know, you saw it on Alabama's first touchdown drive when Jalen Waddle kind of catches it and runs through about four Georgia defenders, and and that goes well. I thought Alabama left some opportunities out there because of poor communication and and kind of poor angles to the football uh, by Georgia, but but the passes weren't hauled in. Um, I just don't think Georgia played well. And I think that tells you a little bit about where Georgia is as a program, that I think if Georgia goes out there and plays its A game, that, that that's a four-quarter slugfest. But at the same time, you didn't play well, so you deserve to lose. And that's just the way it goes. And Alabama was the better team that night. I don't think Alabama played well in every facet either, by the way. But I think Alabama played a better brand of football than Georgia. It got some gifts from Georgia. Georgia was unable to capitalize on its one turnover. Alabama capitalized on all three of its. And uh, and that's just the way it went. But, I, but I, I come away thinking Georgia belonged on that field more than it probably did the first two times whenever 2017-2018. Georgia comes out, and they are landing every punch. They are playing flawless football. They're not beating themselves. They're doing everything right. And they were able to build a lead that they were unable to hold on to. This team came out and kind of stubbed its toe and made some crucial mistakes and first down penalty on the second drive of the game and take a sack on third down, looking looking out of sorts early on, but rebound to come back in the game, take the lead, and then let it get away with more mistakes late. That, to me, 
uh, shows that if Georgia could play clean football, if Georgia can get things figured out at quarterback, either Stetson Bennett gets better and a lot better, or Georgia makes a change at quarterback, uh, I think Georgia can can play with Alabama. I think Georgia can maybe score with Alabama. And that takes me into the key sequences, and, and I'm going to go ahead and go first with this. But, I, Rusty, you talk about that drive that you, you mentioned a minute ago. 36-yard completion to Jermaine Burton, 10-yard run to James Cook, throw away, next down. Low percentage pass to George Pickens, second down. Interception with Trey McKitty sitting wide open over the middle of the field, six, seven-yard game, but you set yourself up for the field goal at worst. And Bennett throws a little bit high. Maybe Burton had a chance to catch it, had a guy draped on him. Who knows? Interception. Guys, Georgia's running backs average right around six yards of carry in this game. I think Todd Munkin did a fantastic job of scheming guys open and giving Stetson Bennett opportunities in the passing game. If if Todd Munkin had not have been able to do that in that game, if he was not as as sound of an offensive coordinator as he is, that game was probably a blowout and out of hand because Stetson Bennett had options. He had plays there to be made. There were three straight downs there in the red zone before the half where Stetson missed an open receiver in Darnell Washington. He missed an open receiver in Trey Burton, comes back and makes the hard throw on third down and gets there. Todd Munkin dialed all three of those up, and that's something that's very hard to do against a good football team. But when I look at that sequence, I just, I'm kind of left wondering, in hindsight's 2020, and this has happened to every good offensive coordinator in the history of the game, why are you not running the football? Because when the end, at the end of the third quarter, Georgia was averaging 6.9 yards per pass attempt on 33 attempts, and the running backs were averaging about 6.1 or 6.2 yards per carry just in a handoff. And when you have all of these things mixed in, like the batted passes at the line of scrimmage and the missed receivers from Stetson Bennett, I just feel like everything made sense to at least at some point get to like you did on your first scoring drive where Georgia ran the ball, I think, seven out of nine plays, maybe seven out of ten plays, and run the football because Georgia was able to run the football against Alabama the best it ever has, and that was something we highlighted before the game. This wasn't a vintage Alabama defensive line or even a front seven. Georgia should have been able to have success on the ground. It did. Zamir White looked great. Kendall Milton looked great. Kenny McIntosh looked good in a very limited amount of time. James Cook did a ton of stuff in the passing game. I just didn't think those guys had as big a role in the game as they should have, and Stetson Bennett had too much on his plate, and that drive, to me, illustrates that. Uh, Rusty, what's your key sequence or, 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 or kind of turn of events there? Yeah, I, you look at that whole situation you described there, and and I think Stetson, you know, he got out of his comfort zone. They had, they, you know, the one pick he threw where he was scrambling and turned his back, I, I really don't even know where he was throwing that ball. You know, it's hard to, to gauge and say, hey, we're, you know, was he trying to throw it deep and it was just short? I, I, I don't know, but, you know, it's interesting – people are going to listen to this podcast and say that Georgia doesn't have a chance to beat Alabama. And that's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying something is going to have to be pretty, pretty remotely different in the next game, just because schematically, I don't know how you stop those guys. I just don't. And Georgia's not built for a shootout right now. It's not built for a shootout. If JT Daniels, winds up being better than any of us imagined. Georgia's still not built for a shootout. They're not. That's not the type of offense they've got right now. And you can and Jake, you were spot on. Todd Monk can hit those and those 
uh, red zone calls there inside of 10. I mean, all three plays those guys, that was a hell of a throw he had to make for Jermaine Burton, who, by the way, you know, held on for the touchdown. Everything else was wide open. I mean, you to, to get somebody like that inside the red zone is great calls uh, to get those. That, that is a lot of film work there uh, to do that. Those are charted plays, and you know what you're going to do. So I just think, you know, we're, we're trying to be honest here. And, and you know, one, one thing um, I will say that, you know, kind of mentioned on the board, Dane, some people made some comments. Arian Smith is a guy that Alabama recruited big time. And Clemson was, and Georgia went and got him. This is a 10 300 wide receiver. And I think right now, Georgia's wide receiver core is doing pretty dang good. I think Jermaine Burton is really starting to turn the corner. Pickens has got to, you know, they've got to get some touches to him. Somebody else has got to step tight ends are playing okay. They don't have a 17 or a six right now. They don't. It might be an Arian Smith type guy if they could get him on the field. So, People ask, where do you get those? Well, Georgia went out and got at least one last year. And Jermaine Burton uh, could have went to Alabama easily. Uh, obviously, LSU commit. But, you know, th- there's some guys there. There's some pieces of puzzle. But right now, Georgia is not built for a shootout offensively. They don't have that those types of weapons. So, you know, we're all interested in how things go. I still think that and it's not enough, okay? I'm, I'm not going to sit here and sugarcoat it. I still think Georgia can win every game on their schedule with Stetson Bennett. I think they can beat Florida with Stetson Bennett. I really do. Now, does this can Stetson Bennett win in the Mercedes Benz against Alabama? I'm not sure right now. I just I, I don't I don't think so. Again, I picked Alabama last week, and that was part of the reason I trusted their offense more than Georgia's defense, and that was saying a lot. So. You know, you look at everything and you package everything together. I think that Georgia is going to have a difficult decision on their hand. Are we going to fix things? And can Stetson Bennett get us to the next level? Are we going to take our time, maybe make a change, and say that JT Daniel has more ceiling and this is the guy that we have our best opportunity to get us in the playoff? Because you do not want to waste a defense like this. You do not. And, uh, you know, Georgia can play better on defense. I thought Kip was right, too. I mean, they didn't play too bad. They just had a few plays here and a couple short fields. So, I think you you look at the situation, and Georgia's week by week. They're week by week. But make no mistake about it. At some point yesterday, they met, or at some point this week, and they said, who gives us the best chance to beat Alabama in a rematch? We do not know the answer to that yet from from their side, but I'm pretty sure we're going to find out in the next couple of weeks. Absolutely, and I can't wait to hear what's coming out of practice tomorrow. I, I, I'm very interested to see. I mean, uh, a side note on all of this, if if you don't uh, subscribe to Dogs 24-7, um, Georgia traveled three quarterbacks for that game, and Carson Beck wasn't one of them. JT Daniels was Georgia's third, third quarterback for that game. And – you know, obviously they didn't feel like he was ready to step in because he didn't play, um, despite Stetson kind of struggling there late. But, I mean, I don't know how in the world you travel him as your third quarterback if you don't feel like he could play if he had to. And so that is a step to me in the direction of him being ready and being able to kind of get on the field and do a little more. And I'm I'm really interested to see if, if they start to kind of maybe work him in 
And and if they bring him along slowly, or if they just say, "Hey, first team stuff all week long," um, you know, you're going to get. Sh- I don't know that he's even going to get a shot. I also don't know if he's going to get all the first team reps. I think both are con- both are very likely, both are very possible. I would say, but it's it's just it's it's kind of. I mean, it's it's up in the air right now, and um, nobody knows what's going to happen, and and we'll have it covered for you. I, and I'm I'm hoping to have some notes after tomorrow's practice. We get Kirby at noon uh, tomorrow to to maybe talk about Kenny McIntosh and maybe his injury and stuff like that. But uh, Kip, before we go to the break, uh, key sequence for you. I think you know I, I talked about how. Georgia played well defensively against Alabama, but you also, I mean, Kirby's got a great opportunity for a huge teaching moment and basically uh, a humble yourself moment. And that uh, it obviously came with 23 seconds left in the second quarter. I mean, Georgia just went up 24 17, felt pretty good. Jake Camarda just knocked it back for a touchback. You know, Alabama could have just taken a knee and, and, and went to the half, but. You know, they chose to be aggressive. So, I mean, but it was that first play. Um, they're at the 25-yard line. And, I mean, Alabama's offensive line, I think one thing you really got to give credit to is, I mean, Alex Leatherwood made a case to be the best offensive lineman in the country right now in that yes, game. He, he was outstanding. Yes, he, did. Uh, he, I mean, he threw put a block on Aziz Ojolari, and, and then they – Jordan Davis lost the battle with, uh, I believe, is Deontay Brown, and a hole opened up. And another thing that Alabama did really well with this offensive line, I mean, they pull really, really well. And another guy who stock up after this game has to be Landon Dickerson. I mean, he, he pulled up, and, I mean, uh, Georgia's inside linebackers couldn't get an angle on uh, Najee Harris. So he got that 14-yard gain, and all of a sudden Alabama's at its 40, 40-39-yard 40, line, and they, they quickly call a timeout. And, that I mean, now you have the whole playbook. And so, I mean, that just that play was kind of like a change in the dynamic of the game because if Georgia stops Najee Harrison first down, then they, they run the clock out. And, and so that – it's something they can go back and look at and, and and fix. That's something that can be fixed by by I mean, you, you can't lose those one on one block matchups and, and they did. I mean, and they, they lost their ground and and it was a moment where the momentum changed in in the football game. And I mean, all for a again a a fourteen yard uh, run right before half. You just you can't give up, you can't let Alabama get down the field and kick a field goal with 23 seconds left. You know that you're not going to be able to stop on every possession, but when you have less than 30 seconds left, I mean, that's you, you, you got to stuff them on the run game. And it just, it did not happen. And so, I mean, now you go back and you watch that film and you say, guys, this is, you got to win these one-on-one battles. And I mean, you, you cannot lose that battle up front. And they did on that play. And it costs them big time. Let me ask y'all one question real quick. Don't have to be a long answer. You both are both very aware of the NFL draft because I know how much y'all dig into that and how much y'all love it. If you had to bet tonight your mortgage for one year paid or not paid, 
Najee Harris, Leatherwood, Devontae Smith, and Jalen Waddle, all four go in the top 20 first round. I'd say the only guy that doesn't is uh, is maybe Najee Harris just because of how they treat the running back position. Uh, wouldn't shock me if he kind of went early second round, late first, but uh, those other guys I expect to go top 20 for sure. I agree. Najee's the only one where I, I – I mean, I'm scared now because my mortgage is on the line, but if you didn't have him involved in there, I'd already – I mean – if it's it's getting paid off immediately, if if it's just the other guys, I mean yeah. nothing against Najee, but I mean we saw running backs in the in the last draft. I mean obviously uh, Claude Edwards Hilaire is is tearing it up for the Chiefs as we record this, but at the same time, he didn't go you know he didn't go the first 15, 20 picks, and DeAndre Swift coming off you know obviously best game of of his young career. Didn't even go in the first round. And so, I mean, Najee, he's in that discussion as well, but it's just running backs in general. Just they don't, they don't, they don't take them uh, at that part of the draft unless, I mean, it's a huge no brainer. You tear up the combine, all of the above. And I just do not know that much about how he's going to test and, and things of that nature. I think with uh, that great point to both of you, but I think we would all agree all four of those guys would go before anybody on Georgia's offense right now. Yeah, there's no question about that. I think that's uh, – I don't I don't really see a first-rounder in the 2021 draft for Georgia right now. Um, you know, I think maybe Trey Hill, if he really turns it on, could, could maybe slip up into the late first round. If somebody really wants to take an interior guy, I don't see a first-rounder otherwise. I mean, maybe in the 2022 – draft or even as far out as 2023 but but i don't see it for for the 2021 draft right now uh let's jump into this break real quick guys and on the other side we're going to talk about what's next we do it every week talk about what's next for georgia and it's got two weeks to kind of get some things figured out and i uh, got a little recruiting stuff at the end of the show this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, guys, Kip, going to go to you first, man. What's next for Georgia? What's the one thing you kind of pinpoint? Um, I would ask that, uh, you know, I put out a kind of a off, kind of a bi week run the table checklist today. Something along, obviously, not something in that story. It may be, I don't care, but something kind of along the lines of fixing Georgia and giving it a chance to run the table and get back to Alabama because it's not a given. Georgia's got a great chance to do that, but it's not a given. I mean, the easy answer here is, I mean, I'm going to admit this is the first time. 
I did read your story before we record. I always want to try to sound like I'm I'm informed, and it doesn't get any more informed than reading what Jake writes the the morning of when we're recording. Jesus it, Christ! I did not read it this deep. time, but I'm going to assume that the first bullet point in your article is, is at quarterback. I mean, you have to figure out what you're going to do with that situation. Stradamus. And we we've 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 been able to see enough of Stetson Bennett to kind of know the good and the bad. And I think right now the question we all want to know is, I mean, is is JT Daniels physically and I mean, I'm sure coming off the injury mentally, is he completely prepared to to step into live football and and get hit and and again try to lead an offense, lead Georgia's offense. I think it's something that, I mean, Georgia's definitely got to figure out this week because last year we had a quarterback in Jake Fromm who, I mean, he played for the most part kind of how Kirby Smart wanted he, as far as being risk adverse. He was conservative. Uh, he always made sure that it was, you know, the play was safe as possible. Um. And then Stetson Bennett's he's a gunslinger. And you know, it's it's a tough combination because not only is he a gunslinger, but you know, there are a lot of checkdowns as well. And the vision is sometimes not where it needs to be. I mean, as you guys have said, as far as his makeup, his competitive drive, he's got it. But his experience as far as just having that vision and, and making the right decisions or really, I guess maybe lack of experience as far as just being a starting quarterback. I mean, it, it all became apparent in this game. So Georgia's kind of had to, they had to find that middle ground, someone who's going to, you know, push the outside, uh, you know, sidelines, get the ball to George Pickens not lock into receivers as well as Kyrus Jackson started the season. I mean, you could tell that sometimes, you know, Stetson was kind of locking into a guy and missing somebody else. I mean, uh, you know, whether it's Trey McKitty, whether it's, you know, uh, James Cook. No. I mean, that being said, I loved how they used James Cook in this game. It was by far what we envi- – I mean, it was what we envisioned James Cook, uh, how the impact he can have in a game. And whenever you motion him out there next to Pickens, I mean, that's – I mean, that's eye candy right there for an offense. But, you know, at the quarterback position, you're going to have to make a very tough decision. Do you roll with, you know, Stetson and you know kind of what you're getting on him and hope that the experience helps him make better decisions? Or are you, you going you gonna to make that, that, that switch and, and see if maybe JT Daniels can kind of open up other parts of the offense that, that maybe we're not seeing? I'm not going to just discount Dwan Mathis either. All we have is what we've seen of him, and it did not look like you know, he was ready at that time to lead the offense. Let me break in for a second there, Kip, too. So, Dwan Mathis looked bad. We all agree. Mm-hmm. Look what Arkansas is doing with Barry Odom. I mean, they're putting out a hell of a product because for all intents and purposes, they shut down Ole Miss six, seven picks last week. That's the same quarterback that shredded Alabama seven days before that. What, 338 yards, two touchdowns, three touchdowns, whatever he had, and 48 points? 
So when you go back and look at Dewan Mathis, that whole deal, yeah, he looked he looked bad. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but he probably had a ton of stuff thrown at him by a hell of a DC. I think that what we've seen from Arkansas since the first game should give Georgia fans confidence in general. I think that program, I mean, they should be uh, – I mean, they, they they had a win taken away from them, let's be honest, uh, against Auburn. And so, at this point, uh, that program, the, the arrows pointed up. So, you're right. Maybe Dwan Mathis' performance wasn't as bad as we thought. And I think you have to consider both quarterbacks during this off week. I think that's really what – I mean, there are plenty of other things you got to fix, but the key difference in that Alabama-Georgia game was the quarterback play. You got what you needed to get, you know, out of Mac Jones, and you just did not get what Georgia needed to have from sets of been in this game. It's one performance, and we've seen it, but is it going to change when they play again? And that's really tough, and that's – Again, this is a key point for Kirby Smart as a head coach and, and Todd Monk and the coaching staff because, I mean, once you make the decision, I mean, that's what everyone's going to grade you on, whether you make a change or whether you don't make a change. Now, granted, you can make it later in the year, but this bye week shapes up perfectly for you to kind of figure it out because you have a what we now know is a, a fairly strong Kentucky team that – is very good at forcing turnovers. They can make it a football game by forcing turnovers. I mean, I think Georgia's ground game is going to be what you rely on at that game, you know, away game. Again, a team that's forcing turnovers. But still, I mean, this is the time to kind of make that serious decision with Florida, you know, also on the horizon. Are we going to make a change of quarterback? Yeah, I, I think you have to take a long look at that this week. And, and you know, I, when I wrote what I wrote, and I did have that as my first point in that article, so great job uh, kind of reading my mind there, get out of my head. But uh, I don't know what Georgia has available to them right now. Kirby has done such a good job of kind of keeping that under wraps. Um, I don't know how ready JT Daniels is. So my blanket statement there is Georgia just got to get better at quarterback, whether it's Stetson Bennett, kind of flipping a switch and getting better at seeing the field and them getting the batted ball issues worked out, which I, I don't know how you do. You know, somebody brought up the idea of, of maybe blocking differently and getting hands down. You do that on short throws, but you can't cut every play. And there's nothing an offensive lineman can do when he's in a traditional pass set because you don't know when the ball is going to come out. And not only that, but, I mean, you can't grab the guy and bear hug him either and – those guys didn't really have to leave the ground to bat some of those passes down. They were just sticking a hand up. Uh, so uh, maybe you kind of get Stetson a little more comfortable throwing to the outside. But even that, I mean, you look and, man, there are some one-on-one -on -one situations with George Pickens on the outside that, um, you know, and I know Jake Fromm is a polarizing figure, but there's some one-on-one -on -one situations on the outside that, that Jake Fromm takes advantage of with George Pickens that Stetson Bennett can't right now or hasn't been able to because he doesn't place the ball very well to the outside. He doesn't place the ball – I mean, if I'm being totally honest, he doesn't place the ball all that well to the middle of the field sometimes. It's just he's able to put it where his guy can make a play, and Todd Munkin's doing a great job of kind of getting those guys open, and so are those guys as well. The receivers, they deserve some credit there too. 
Uh, but but I, I, either Stetson Bennett's going to have to get a lot better for Georgia to achieve all of its goals, or Georgia's going to have to make a change at quarterback. And it could be, uh, listen, I'm not writing off DeJuan Mathis either. I didn't mention him in my article, but you know that's a great point you guys make with Arkansas. Arkansas should control its own destiny right now. Okay, They're, they should be three and one with, and it's not going to happen. I'd be shocked if it does. That if they can beat Alabama, they would be the 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 toast of the SEC East because I really believe that they can win every game left on their schedule. Florida and Alabama are going to be the toughest ones, and it you know it looks crappy on the SEC's part that they really kind of stuck it to Arkansas with that tough schedule because that's a team that could go with a with a slightly easier schedule go seven and three eight and two. Uh, but but now you know seven and three is still possible. Six and four very possible as well. Be something else if Sam Pittman got those guys to a bowl game. Uh, Rusty, what's next for Georgia in your opinion? Um, self scouting. You take a week like this to. I think they're pretty healthy from what I know. You know you got some bumps and bruises and things like that, so you kind of get yourself together. And, and again, I mean, probably not sugarcoating. You're you're going to sit around and look at that tape and know that you tried it out just about as good as you can recruit on that defensive side of the ball experience. And those guys have been there and it can run and it wasn't enough. And, you know, Stetson Bennett need to play better and Georgia catch some balls better. And, you know, it just, you know, it's just, they've got to figure out, a way to get this team the maximum out of this team because you just don't want to sit around with a defense like this. And, um, you know, Kentucky's no joke. Now you got a schedule change. Man, Kirby Smart has a very, very big decision. And I, I would imagine he's going to. But, Jake, you're going to turn 85 kids loose this weekend let them go home. To, to no telling what and where because they're human beings and they're young men. And they have been, you know, going through a lot uh, since, what, July? I mean, and these kids go home this weekend. You come back, there's no room for COVID issues. There's no buffer with that bye week being changed now before they play Kentucky and Florida. So, um, there's a lot to sit back and hope for, but you got to get yourself fixed this week. Probably look at this quarterback position some and, um, you know, fix some, fix some smaller things. But I will touch on one thing that you guys brought up earlier. I don't know his stats, but I'm telling you right now, Jake Cromartis is having a hell of a year. And I saw this kid in high school and I said, this kid's a freak show. Never seen anything like it, but he, for the first two years, it did not go well. Very inconsistent. Whatever he's doing, and if Scott Cochran had anything to do with that, I don't know. But something is going right for Jake Cremata because he looks confident. He is hammering it, kickoffs, punts, everything. Very, very impressed with number nine. Yeah, he's doing a great job. And and Kirby to the I mean uh Rusty to the point of uh of the the COVID situation in Georgia turning those guys loose on Friday, man, I can just see right now a big box of voodoo dolls being delivered to Kirby and Mary Beth's house on Thursday night and them going through about a hundred of them, one for each, each guy that they don't need to come down with this thing, putting them in glass cases. 
and uh, and and doing everything they can, praying, throwing holy water around the house, um, throwing holy water on the players, uh, whatever they can possibly do to kind of you know help them make good decisions and protect them and and whatever else because. Uh, you know, that's, that's, this is what Kirk, this is something Kirby said that he was worried about. You know, he, he talked about Sunday and Saturday after the game and, and you can bet that he is very, very concerned because he's a warrior in general, very concerned about Friday and Saturday. And, and it wouldn't shock me if they tried to have a team meeting at, you know, 9am, 8am on Sunday morning, just to get those guys back as quick as they could. Uh, I'm going to go off script here off of what I wrote uh, not not what I wrote on in the story. It's something I wanted to put in there, but but you know I think you got to keep this James Cook train rolling. And I want to preface this by saying James Cook to me is not a let's get the ball to him now and let him make a big play. He he needs space. He needs he needs uh, he's not going to break a lot of tackles. I don't think he's going to miss make a lot of men miss. I haven't really seen that from him power wear you down there's really no not those elements to his game but I saw Todd Munkin do something with him twice on Saturday that I think should have been done for two straight years and that's he put him in a foot race with a linebacker and James Cook won it both times one time was on the third down before Georgia's first touchdown of the night he they they kind of put it in the put a uh, got him in man coverage and uh bent cook out of the backfield to the right side of the formation and and he just outran dylan moses to the spot and bennett got it to him and it was a first down and then obviously they split him out wide he runs right by christian harris and and toast touchdown those are the kind of things you need to do with james cook i've always felt like maybe a little overblown what he can do with the ball in his hands him being kind of this dominant player but i've always felt like he had a strength that could be exploited and be exploited. You'd be used to exploit a defense and be used to exploit a defense regularly. And George did it a couple times uh, on Saturday, and it needs more of that because he's he's the kind of guy that kind of busts the game open open for you. And uh, that 82 yard play, longest play George's had since 2018, I believe, longest pass play since 2013 against LSU when Justin Scott Wesley or, or against South Carolina when Justin Scott Wesley had a long one. So that's that's something that that I think Georgia needs to keep doing, along with a myriad of other things. I think you got to kind of get back to some bread and butter with the run game. More touches for Kendall Milton. He ran the ball two times in the second half on Saturday. The first two carries of the second half picked up two, ran the ball twice for twelve yards out of the game. Didn't really come back and do much in the run game. And uh, I think he showed you that he, that he's a he's a football player and. Um, you know, I, I do believe Georgia can get better and get to be where it can. I think Georgia can put 35, 40 points on, the, on that, that Alabama football team. Um, but I don't think it can, like you, Rusty said, I, I don't like its chances in a shootout because I think Georgia needs to slow things down and, and, and kind of keep its defense fresh and give its defense the best chance to be successful. Uh, Rusty, let's go to some recruiting here, real quick. Smile Munden, five star linebacker. What are you hearing? Just saw him on Friday night, and it sucks, man, because uh, for, any, for any of these kids, but particularly someone like him that meant so much to Paulding County, and shout out to Van Spence and Paulding County because they played Douglas County, who was a really, really good team. Got Jonathan Jefferson, uh, Connie Walker, uh, all those guys on defense. Got a Georgia Tech commit on defense. They got like four D1 commits, I think, on defense. They're outstanding. And Paulding County's had all kind of injuries. 
uh, and they, they beat them uh, 22 to 20. I think Friday night, great game and huge win for Van Spence and uh, Paulding County. But I'll say, you know, I talked to smile for a few minutes before the game and, you know, he, 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 he's very, very quiet and he's on crutches. So, you know, that he's already had his surgery and there's some rumors, I guess, going around at some point somewhere. Cause I had a couple of people ask me, did Georgia set up his surgery? They did not. I spoke with his coach. I spoke with him. Um, he had his own orthopedic doctor, um, there in Paulding County did it. So, um, or Cobb County, that area down there, his personal doctor in Atlanta did it. So, you know, talk to him. It's the first time he kind of opened up about a few things, and he basically told me he's 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 he's, he's about done with it. Um, and I asked him, you know, how close are you? He goes, I'm definitely feel like I'm going to commit in November. And I, you know, doesn't have a date yet, but he said he wants to kind of enjoy that last month of December before he signs. He will be enrolling at a school of his choice in January. So, um, you know, and I did talk to some people there and everybody was kind of agreeing with me that this is a Georgia Auburn battle. Uh, I don't think Florida's quite in it as much as they were at one time. Same with Tennessee, just really, uh, not hearing much Tennessee vibe at all there anymore. Uh, as I was, you know, late May, early June, felt like Tennessee really made a play there. But um, this is a Georgia-Alabama. I think I would stay with Georgia right now. To my knowledge, he is not a silent commit. He has never told me where he is leaning. He has been very, very quiet. So I have to piece together everything with him. Uh, but you know, here's a guy that is coveted. Georgia wants him. Auburn wants him. You know, he's a big guy that can run. And uh, you see these, you see all these plays in space and. Somebody like Sarkeesian widening these linebackers on these wheel routes. And, you know, it's just such a different game now for linebackers than it was five, six years ago. You've got to cover so much more space. And uh, I just think that uh, this, that's why he's like that. And right now, I would say Georgia. Uh, don't know 100%. All right, man, Kip. Uh, if Smile Monday goes in, in November and commits to Georgia – that could be a big month for Georgia because you caught up with Nylon Green here recently out of Newton uh, High School. Yeah, Nylon Green, a, a top 100 prospect, and obviously Georgia, you know, with the potential to lose their top three cornerbacks after this year, you know, depending on what Eric Stokes, Tyson Campbell, and, you know, you have DJ Daniel graduating. I mean, there's a pretty strong chance that they will lose their top three cornerbacks after the season. So, obviously, you want, you want to add as much talent as you can to that position. And, you know, Alan Green's kind of a guy that can do a little bit of everything for you. He does – he has played some safety in the past. He's got good size, 6'2", 183, very athletic. And, you know, he's had kind of behind the scenes, there's been several programs that have kind of had momentum with Nylon Green. I mean, early on, Clemson. In fact, as of right now, you know, the the only two crystal ball picks – for Nylon Green are in for for Clemson. Rusty and I were kind of, well, you know, we've been patient. And, and again, we, we just like being right. I know now there's more of a, you know, you can put a crystal ball prediction in and kind of feel like this is the team that's kind of in front now. But sometimes a guy can just out of nowhere just pop up and commit. 
And if it's a neck and neck recruitment, I mean, you can end up, I mean, you end up being wrong. And so with Nylon, we've kind of known that, you know, he's trying to take his time with the process and he's been very diligent, but he, he has had mul- multiple programs with momentum. I mean, right after Clemson, it was, it was Auburn. Auburn was the team kind of, you know, that had some momentum there during the summer with Nylon. And, and again, these, all these programs have been recruiting them very hard because cornerbacks have been at a premium this cycle and a lot of the same programs, you know, battling for these guys. And now here we are mid-October. Nylon Green is closing in on, on announcing a decision. As of right now, I expect that decision to come in November. And it's still tight, but it's not any of the aforementioned programs I've said. It, the program kind of pushing Georgia behind the scenes is is Tennessee. And again, it's, I mean, Derek Ansley, T. Martin have been on him. They've made him a priority. And I mean, they've, they've connected well with him. And so that's kind of the program that's kind of nipping at Georgia's heels here. Now, as of right now, do I think Georgia's in a good spot for now in green? I, I do. I think that, you know, they, they, they really have had productive talks with him and his family. I think that it's a program he always had a lot of interest in and, and he definitely, you know, is feeling like a priority uh, for, for the Georgia staff right now. And I think that kind of, you know, gave him a, you know, some momentum and allowed them to kind of emerge as, as the program to, to beat in his recruitment, but it's tight. And that's still why, I mean, I, me personally, why I don't have a crystal ball prediction in for him right now, because again, the commitment is in November, even without, you know, in-person contact and, and in-person visits, which has affected, you know, every recruitment this cycle, the next few weeks are going to be key for both programs, Georgia and Tennessee. I think Georgia has the momentum, but they have to keep that momentum with him. And I mean, they, and they have to, they kind of finish it out and make sure that how he feels right now doesn't change by the time he announces a commitment. But I mean, he says he's, you know, he's getting close to being ready and he doesn't have a date yet, but I think that it very well could come in, in November. And uh, again, another top 100 prospect, a top 10 prospect in the state of Georgia uh, and a, a guy that is very important in this class. And we've talked about it throughout this cycle. Uh, it's just smaller margin for error for Georgia if they want to fill all their needs. I don't think it's, you know, exactly about winning recruiting championships, but but about getting the guys that you want and, and, and landing those top targets. But I think that now, Georgia's got some recruiting momentum here behind the scenes on the several top guys. And I think, again, you add those two guys to to the rest of, of what Georgia's been able to get so far in this class. And that right there puts you at, you know, 18 commitments in a class that in the at the end of the day could end up being 21, 22 guys. And so, I mean, it allows you to focus on the rest of your targets, your final targets. And we don't know when either of these guys are going to announce specifically, but we know it's getting close. And, and Georgia's got a chance to have another guy. I think that you look at Gaffney, uh, South Carolina defensive lineman, Tyrion Ingram Dawkins, it seems like he's been close for, for like six months now. It really has. I think at one point he was going to announce in May and then June. And, you know, the leaderboard – it's taken him, you know, he's slowly been narrowing things down, but 
I mean, he's a guy that's 6'5", 300 pounds, and very early in the cycle, he was a priority for Georgia as well. At one point, we thought he was going to go to Tennessee. If he would announce in May, we thought Tennessee would be the pick. Um, I think the majority of the crystal ball predictions are in for in-state South Carolina for him right now. But, I mean, as Rusty said multiple times on the site, uh, Georgia seems to be well-positioned for him. And he's a guy that on 24-7 sports is a top 100 prospect, uh, you know, just an outstanding frame and really fits perfectly what Georgia wants on its defensive line. I mean, it, that that guy, his athleticism, his, I mean, he could play any position really uh, on Georgia's front, you know, front three. And I think that, I mean, if he does announce – Let's just say if he goes in November too, we have no no time frame. But he's every time you talk to him, he says he's close, and I think it might actually, you know, maybe he is actually getting close. And if he does, I mean, I think Georgia could be tough to beat there. And just like with the other guys, um, you know, don't have a crystal ball prediction in yet. I believe Rusty doesn't either, but. It really is about just trying to, to lock down the timeline for these guys because we just know, and we've seen it before, how quickly things can change in that 11th hour because once college coaches know when you're going to make a decision, a real decision, it, they just they ramp it up. The contact gets ramped up. Uh, you know, they, they go through every outlet possible to try to make sure that you and your family are comfortable. It just, it, everything just gets ramped up to a different degree. And so we're just kind of waiting on, you know, that to know when that 11th hour is, because then we can kind of get a feel where, you know, where things lie in these, in these guys' recruitments. But I mean, if Georgia's able to land those three guys, uh, I think it will go a long way towards them having a top five and potentially a top three class when all is said and done. Yeah, landing those three would push them into the top three, a little over 287 points. Uh, that would put them uh, roughly about nine points ahead of Oregon for the number three spot. And and then, you know, you're you're taking aim at, at Alabama and Ohio State at that point that they're, you know, they are separated by three one-hundredths of a point uh, at uh, 304.25 and 304.22. Uh, at Alabama number one, Ohio State number two, and then Georgia would still have some big fish on the board. Corey Foreman, Xavier Sori, uh, some some really good football players left on the board, and and uh, um, that would take Georgia into the top three. It'd be a huge November if Georgia was able to get two of those guys, not even mention three. And we'll have it all covered for you. Uh, um, we will uh, we will definitely be back with you next week, and we're going to explore some topics to try and get back with you this week. Uh, but for this episode of the Junkyard Dogcast, I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. With me, Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell from the same place. And we'll check you guys out later. Take it easy. hottest show is fire country i'm not a hero i'm in orange for a reason they're taking 12 months off your sentence you're free <laughs> 
lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. You used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.